Maximum Health with your host, Dr. Ken Gray. With over 20 years in healthcare, Dr. Gray is a doctor of oriental medicine and holistic physician fusing Eastern and Western healing. Dr. Gray is on staff at Jupiter Medical Center and in private practice with an office in Jupiter, Florida, where he resides. Dr. Gray enjoys being a physician as well as being an educator. His unique approach to holistic healing has taken him abroad to lecture in Baden-Baden, Germany, and treat sports professionals in Hawaii and Biarritz, France. He is co author of several books on food therapy and the founder of the annual Star Summit Talks at the Norton Museum of Art in Palm Beach, Florida. Now it's time for Maximum Health with Dr. Ken Gray. Welcome back, everyone. This is Maximum Health Radio, quality living with yours truly, Dr. Ken Gray. Uh, today we have a wonderful show as usual. I mean, we just, um, I'm, I'm so fortunate because I get introduced to these amazing individuals and I get to bring them to you and have conversations that hopefully enlighten your life as much as it does mine or even more. Um, we have Dr. Peter Ernest Rourke, uh, founder of Dog is My Co-Pilot. And I found out about this organization through patients of mine, dear friends, and uh, a wonderful family, uh, the Lennings. And um, they, you know, basically it was this awesome T-shirt. <laughs> and then I was like, I need one of those. And then I got the story uh, part of it. And it just amazed me that there was an individual out there, an angel on behalf of uh, man's best friend, saving, um, you know, many, and I mean, to the tune of thousands of, of dogs' lives every year. And um, through flying them from places where they would be euthanized to places where they will not be. Um, we have Dr. Peter Ernest Rourke, a retired orthopedic surgeon on the line with us. Thank you for joining us today, sir, and taking time from your busy schedule. Ken, uh, good morning, and thank you so much for having me on your program. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, it's an honor. And and so this started how long ago? I started this nonprofit uh, in 2012, just uh, just a little over nine years ago. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I've been practicing full-time orthopedics in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Um, really enjoying myself. I had just recently been married to a wonderful woman. And uh, two months after she, we got married, she had a cardiac event and, and died after two weeks in a coma. Oh, my God. Sorry. And um, it, it just destroyed me. So oh. I, I left my practice of medicine, and I just retreated to our small vacation spot up in Montana where I just grieved. I mean, I, it, people who haven't gone through the grieving process can't understand it, and which is a good thing. I'm glad they never have to, but uh, it's it's just terrible, and you go down into the darkest place possible. And after a couple of months, a, a mutual friend of my wife's and my called me and said, you know, Meg would want you to be happy. You need to get out there and do something. So my wife and I used to do the occasional animal rescue flight, and basically, and, and, and it's what 99% of all the pilots do when they say they rescue animals. They use the dog as an excuse to go fly their airplane. And, uh, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong for that one dog that they save. It's a, it's a game changer. It changes their world. But it, it really doesn't make a mark. Um, so I started doing that. And uh, I was going to be flying, you know, say a half a dozen animals back and forth between San Francisco and, and the Animal Adoption Center in Jackson. And uh, when I went out to San Francisco, I met uh, Marty Watts, who's running the San Francisco SPCA. And she said, you know, you really need to meet this woman, Sharon Roman, down in the Central Valley of California. 
uh, she could really use your help. So I flew down to uh, Merced, California, and if you've ever been there, you can understand that it's, 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 a, it's a community with its challenges. No, I've uh, never been to walked, that part. <laughs> she walked me through the shelter, and uh, they were euthanizing 94% of all the animals that came through the door. They were completely overrun. Wait, so 90, 94% of, of the animals mm-hmm. that came in the door were being euthanized? Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, brutal. Yeah. It was, it was a, a slaughterhouse, basically. And, uh, you know, you, you wonder how they can even call these places shelters. Shelters are supposed to be places where you're safe. Right, yeah. But in, it, in, in any event, I um, – and she was desperate to save the, save the animals. She was running a program called – is running a program called New Beginnings – and they would load 15, 20 animals in a van and drive them to Portland or Seattle or Denver or Salt Lake. And, and these are 16-hour drives for these for the um, vehicles, the drivers and the animals. And keep in mind, if you've ever been involved in animal transport, you put the animal in the crate and they come out when you get to their destination. You don't let them out every three hours to pee. So they are stuck in there. Mm-hmm. And so... I looked at that and I said, Sharon, I, I can do those flights for you. Uh, I can knock them off in four hours uh, with the aircraft I was flying. I was flying a single-engine, six-seater uh, aircraft, a Cessna 206, nicknamed the Stationaire. And um, so that's the first time I, I scaled up. I, how, I how long, just, just real quick, how long were you flying uh, personally before all of this? Oh, gosh. I, I had my pilot's license before I even had my driver's license. Oh, wow. So that's Flying wow. over 50 <laughs> years. Yeah. So it wasn't anything new to me. And I actually worked my way through medical school as a pilot. Hmm. Uh, I went to med school in Baltimore, and I would work on the weekends, and I could fly 10, 12 hours a day, and, you know, six bucks an hour and uh, as a flight instructor, uh, doing charter work, sightseeing tours over the Chesapeake Bay, uh, it, it was a fun time for me, and it was a good respite from my medical studies. And who knew it would be preparing you for this amazing work? Uh, who knew? So uh, so I took all the seats out of the aircraft, and I went from flying one animal at a time to flying the 15 or 20 animals at a time, and up to 40 or 50 cats. And it all really depends on the size of the crate to fill up the cabin of the aircraft. And I did that for a number of years, and I was saving a thousand animals a year, and I, and you know that that's helping somewhat. Uh, and then after one especially cramped flight, uh, my daughter, who's also our general counsel, my daughter Taylor, uh, called and said, "Dad, how was the flight?" I said, "It was awful," and <laughs> I was so cramped it was it was terrible. And uh, so she says, you've always been talking about getting that bigger airplane. Just do it. I, she said, well, we can't afford it. She says, just do it. It'll work. It's, it'll work out somehow. So I went on the quest of trying to find an, a larger aircraft and eventually settled on a Cessna Caravan, which is basically a, an aircraft that was designed for FedEx for hauling, the freight, hauling their freight. And uh, found one that was up in Canada from a flight department of a mining company. And uh, the Canadian flight authorities are meticulous about how aircraft are mechanically maintained. Uh, So I went up and I looked at this aircraft, and it had been flown in and out of dirt fields. It was covered with dents. 
inside of the aircraft was torn apart. The ceiling was falling down. But mechanically, it was perfect. I said, this is the perfect airplane. I said, the dogs, the dogs don't care what it looks like. I care that it's mechanically sound. So uh, I actually went out and mortgaged my house uh, to get the money to loan to the nonprofit so the nonprofit could purchase this aircraft so it could become a single-use aircraft. And I don't think there's another organization out there that owns its own aircraft specifically for transporting dogs. Most of these are rental aircraft. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it. Now, yeah. is this the aircraft that you're speaking of now? Is that the one in the video on your website? Probably. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know what video uh, to which you refer, but uh, yeah. it's uh, it's a large high-wing single-engine turbine aircraft. Uh, it's big, but at least it's slow. Yeah. And it's... Uh, and so I got that, and uh, there were times, I mean, these are times now where we're landing, uh, living from hand to mouth. I have an executive director, Kara Pollard, who is my wingman, and our ground control, air traffic control, she does it all, except for the flying. And um, we were just kind of scraping by, and there were many months where I had to loan money, or I had to donate money to the organization in order to pay pay its mortgage on the aircraft oh, wow. it, it was yeah. crazy the, the, so and we, for those I that are listening i just you know it might be helpful too at some point and i don't know if they could, if they have other means of um viewing while they're listening to this show but dogcopilot.org um is a wonderful website and that's the video i'm talking about is when you pull it up you see this you see the story um and you get to see some some amazing aspects of what um dr ernest rourke is uh, talking about right now so i just wanted to throw that in there because um yeah, the single engine plane that you're doing this with is—it's a workhorse. I'm, I'm familiar it, with the plane that you're talking about. It's known as being a workhorse and really reliable. And it's a great—it was a great choice, and, and obviously, yeah, it's it's, it's it's kind of the DC three of our generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just uh, it—it's a hauler. Mm-hmm. So um, I went from flying a thousand animals a year to flying four thousand animals a year, mm-hmm. and I was doing all the flying myself. And it was it was becoming overwhelming for me. It, it's uh, it was too much. So out of the blue, the Petco Foundation, and they recently rebranded themselves and called themselves Petco Love, um, gave us a grant. They said, "We've been watching you. Uh, love what you're doing. Here's some money. No strings attached. Use it any way you want." And so I went out and I I brought on three more pilots, and we're all volunteer pilots. Um, two of them were just crackerjack, and and one was the mayor of Crazy Town, so I had to let him go. Um, <laughs> and then, any um, do, is there a story you want to share about that Crazy Town <laughs> pilot? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll let our imaginations run wild then. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. You know, for you know, even though we're a single pilot operator, you still have to be a team player. Yeah. And it's uh, it, he. Just it just didn't work. Mm. So in, in any event, um, so I added. I had two pilots flying with me, and you know the numbers are we're flying, you know, four or five days a week. And then Petco comes back and they up the grant again. So I brought on another four pilots. So now we have seven people flying, all volunteers. We're flying seven days a week. We've gone from flying a thousand animals a year to a thousand animals a month. And it's uh, and now we're looking at 
purchasing a second aircraft and basing it on the East Coast in the Atlanta area to address the same needs that they have in Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Central Florida, and find, find them up to the Northeast. You know, Ken, if you draw a line between Salt Lake City and Denver, the farther north you go, the better it is for the dogs. And the farther south you go, the worse it is for the dogs. Mm. And it's just, it, it's it's a cultural and educational problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the answer here is spay and neuter. I mean, that's that's simple, but people like to keep the dogs intact for whatever insane reason. Mm-hmm. And the dogs are outside running around wild year-round because the weather is more mild in the south than it is in the north. And, uh, you know, these, these shelters are, I mean, the local animal control are picking up strays by the hundreds. They bring them in. And, and, and the groups that are using euthanasia as a tool are not bad people. They just don't have an option. Right. They, their options are that they can adopt them out, they can foster them out, they can transport them out, or they can take them down the hall and, and uh, sadly put an end to their life. And uh, transport has been such a small part of their solution until just recently when we stepped in and started offering this. Now, when I first started flying for Sharon back in 2012, uh, I would fly 20 dogs at a time, drop them off at one destination and go home. Now, I was Sharon's best kept secret. She didn't want to share the organization with anybody. And... uh, but the receiving groups wanted to share it with everybody because Sharon wasn't their only sending partner. Mm-hmm. So suddenly we're getting requests from all over. And uh, so now we fly, uh, we fly the 14 western states, and we fly every day of the week. And we, uh, our flights are, are longer and longer with a longer reach because uh, the money has become less of an, the funding has become less of an issue with the Petco Love. Right. Uh, they don't meet our entire budget, but it's a big chunk of it. And uh, we used to watch the number of animals per flight hour very closely because we needed the numbers to make sense. No one's going to donate money to an organization that's spending $5,000 per animal per transport. That's silly. Um, but if you can do it for $50 per animal per transport, now we're in business. Right. And, and right. That, that's what we do with the caravan. And so uh, we get about 80% of our dogs now out of the state of Texas. It's, it's a real bloodbath down there. Really? And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just awful. And, and the cynical side of me is saying, gosh, you know, I'm busting my ass, raising money, flying all over the West so that I can bring these resources down to Texas and save the dogs. I said, that's a Texas problem. The people in Texas should be taking care of that. Yeah. But I, I have to remind myself that, this is not a dog problem, and uh, this is a people problem. And if they're not going to step up, somebody's got to step up. Right and until until it, people start to it, recognize, um, you know, enough that they will make change. And you know, I've heard some stories, obviously, through my patients and other situations. That you know, there's just people out there that decide that this is a money maker. Then they decide, oh, I'm going to breed dogs and I'm going to sell dogs, and it's no, it's so easy. And and then they sell them to a family or people that you know do all sorts of things with dogs, whether it's you know fighting them or or sometimes it's a, you know someone that's lonely and needs a dog. But then that person decides, I don't like the dog or the dog. I I can't train the dog or I can't manage the dog's health. 
And then they just let the dog go and they leave it in a park or they leave it wherever. And this happens over and over and over. And, it, and it's a tragedy for a lot of reasons. And, and, it, and it's creating a situation that, like you said, you have to be the one to come and pick up these pieces because it's not the dog's fault. They didn't ask for it, you know, um, and people are just being irresponsible out there. And so maybe there should be laws against uh, breeding dogs without, you know, I don't know if there is. There maybe is and just people are doing it illegally. But I feel like that's one of the problems is, is these people that decide, you know, this is just, you know, it's greed. It's money. It's a way to make money. And it's um, and, and then it's just irresponsible placement, you know. That's exactly right, Ken. It's shameful. It is absolutely shameful. And when you think that our our government, you know, that so many people are looking for now for their solution. I mean, these are people who require a license of a license to cut hair, yeah, and to, and to and to trim toenails, right, right, and uh, and you would think that they would create some sort of protection for the animals and say. You know, if you're going to breed, you have to have a license to breed. You have to be inspected. You have to make sure it's not a puppy mill. You have to make sure you're doing things responsibly. Right. And there are responsible breeders out there. The, the problem is that there are, it's like probably 10 to 1 right. of the irresponsible backyard breeders who don't have any idea what they're doing except, you know, uh, again, as you right. mentioned, <laughs> Just, looking, for the, looking for the quick buck. That's it. So, so yeah, we got to, I think part of, it sounds like part of what you're doing is bringing this awareness. Yes, you're helping the dogs. Yes, you're helping families. And, you know, and, and to shed some light on that, you know, there, there's been other shows I've done that, you know, there's, it's amazing how personal tragedy and trauma can, doesn't always, but can equal triumph in the way that we take that and then make other people's lives better in order to refill our lives and refill our hearts and, and, and sort of, you know, you can't replace the loss, but you can make it a little bit easier by bringing happiness and love to others. And, and it seems like that's where this passion and this, and, you know, it's not just your love for the dogs, but I think it was, it's your love for your wife and it's, your, and it's your appreciation for what happiness can feel like when you have it and what you're doing now to bring that to, you know, not only the dogs, but the families that then were looking for this happiness and find it through these, these wonderful pets uh, as they can't be. Um, and any dog lover knows that these are these are beings that definitely have souls and they are definitely loyal and definitely can bring, you know, a overall uh, a companionship that's unmatched in many cases. Um, so that's in itself a healing endeavor and it's and it's a, a joy spreading and love spreading endeavor. Um, but what we're talking about now and, and just not to forget about this part is, you know, there, there is a component to this which has to be an awareness um, endeavor so that we can't, you know, we're not making these mistakes uh, continuously and, and just overlooking them. So um, how, how does Dogsma Copilot do that? Is there, besides obviously being on this show, <laughs> there seems like there needs to be a part of your foundation that now brings awareness and teaching and, and lectures and all that sort of stuff. And um, it sounds yeah, like it. Uh, well, I'll tell you, you hit the nail on the head when you're describing my role in that. It was, it was my therapy. It was my therapy out of the grief that I was, I was being suffocated with. And it, it was just so helpful and, and uh, for me. And, you know, here people are looking at me as, you know, the dog whisperer or saving these dogs. And I'm thinking, no, you got it backward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, they're, they're the ones who pulled me out of that dark place. Well, in any event, the short answer to your question is that we have a very small marketing program. We're spending all of our money on, on jet fuel trying to keep the aircraft in the air. 
but we have painted the aircraft like a giant billboard, and it just it's a real head turner whenever we pull into the airports and people want to know what's going on. We basically now fly the same schedule uh, on a four-week repeating schedule, and so we're using the same partners over and over again. So they know what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and it makes the jobs of the pilots a, a lot easier in terms of quick turnaround. Now, keep in mind that a lot of our flights are during the summer where, you know, I'll be in Salt Lake uh, twice this coming weekend, and uh, it was 107 degrees there yesterday, uh, the highest temperature on record. And we can't be on the ground for more than 30 minutes or else those dogs, it gets sweltering hot inside of the aircraft. We don't have air conditioning, but it's nice and cool at 12,000 feet. So we need to we need to get them up in the air as quickly as possible. So, I mean, the crews that we work with, they're like a NASCAR pit crew. I mean, they just get in there, get it done. It's not, you know, stopping and looking inside every crate and saying, oh, here's a real cutie. Get a picture of it with uh, with me. And, you know, it's all business. And, you know, most of the people who are involved in animal rescue are women. And they are honestly doing all the heavy lifting in the animal rescue world. The real heroes here are the people who work in the shelters, the people who go in every day and look at those animals and have to deal with them. And my involvement with the animals is six or eight hours, maybe. And they're in crates in the back of the aircraft, and everybody wants to talk to the pilot who has the airplane. That's the fun, sexy thing. But that's not where all the work is being done. The work is being done, especially in the groups that are rounding up these animals, getting them ready for transport, and then the sending groups who receive them. And we we have three rules that we live by. We, we only fly from nonprofit to nonprofit. We never charge the senders or receivers. We rely strictly on donations. And we'll, we only fly from animals at risk to where they would never put down a healthy animal. And they so if somebody calls and they said, well, you know, our, our shelter is full, and if they're they're a non-kill shelter, they can find some other avenue. All right, those dogs are already taken care of. We're out there trying to protect the dogs that can be saved, and these are perfectly healthy dogs. I have three of them. I I, I cherry picked three <laughs> dogs off of the flights. I as an occupational hazard, but mm. you know what? I like my dogs better than most people I know. And it's so a, that's the case. Always, that's the case with most dog owners. <laughs> it's that, true. Yeah, Doctor Gray, that is absolutely <laughs> correct. So it's uh, you know I I love what I'm doing. I love the people I'm working with, but mostly I love the, giving those dogs that golden ticket when they get on the airplane and when we're loading in the morning. They're barking and chirping and making all kinds of noise. Yeah. When I spin that turbine and it makes the noise, they get very quiet. Now. Yeah. This is a new experience for them, and they've had such a terrible life. They probably are thinking, all right, is this going to hurt? Right, right, And, right. Uh, you know, we take off, uh, get them to their destination, and these are, you know, the happy people who are receiving these animals. I mean, this is – I run a feel-good organization. Yes. This is a feel-good I mean, how can you not feel good listening to this show? <laughs> this is just <laughs> – I mean, well, you know. So we – 
you know, we're doing what we can, flying 1,000 animals a month. Next year, we'll be flying 2,000 animals Oof, a month. Good. But when you think that, you know, between eight and 10,000 animals are euthanized every day mm-hmm. in this country yeah. because of the people problem, not a dog problem, right. people, need, people need to step up, all right? You're either part of the problem or part of the solution. Mm. And if you want to be part of the solution, it's, it's a simple Thing. You can adopt an animal, or better yet, go out and adopt two. They keep each other company. And remember that every animal that you save saves two, the one that you save and the one that takes its place. And if you, can't, if you can't adopt an animal, then foster an animal. Get it ready for adoption. You know, Groom it, voice commands, teach it how to walk on a leash, house train it, uh, makes it a lot easier. Yeah. And if you can't do that, you can go by the shelter and volunteer your time. Those kennels need to be cleaned out every day. The water needs to be changed. The dogs need to be groomed. They need to be fed. They need to be exercised. And if you can't do any of that, pull out your wallet and donate some money. If you think, oh, I don't trust these people with what they're doing with the money, drop by a, 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 do- a bag of dog food or some blankets or collars or leashes or whatever. Just help out because there are so few people out there who are dedicating their time and they get burned out. Yes. They need help. So need help. this so again remembering it's 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 a people problem and we, we the people have to solve it and they can reach you by how how can they donate to dog is my co-pilot? Well, first I'll I'll ask that they donate to their local shelter. Okay. That, that's where the real need is. Uh, reach out there and if they if they have any shekels left over, they can go to our website. You mentioned it earlier. It's yep www.dogcopilot.org. Yes. Uh, there's a donate button on there. You can see a lot of the videos, uh, some of the photographs and that we've had over the years. Oh, there's and plenty. There's there's a lot of wonderful content. There's actually a, a counter of how many animals saved. There's so much. And, you know, speaking of that, which three animals, uh, which three dogs did you pick that you have? I, I, I took the, my 4,000th passenger a little Queensland healer okay and uh, my 10,000th passenger and uh, I, and then 10,001 another dog that was on the same flight uh, so I have a Queensland healer a chocolate lab and a golden retriever I love that you can get whatever you can get whatever you want out there <laughs> I'm sure you know I'm what? sure but those are great picks um, I, we do have to say thank you thank you thank you thank you for all you're doing and thank you for the time that you spent educating us and inspiring us um, I mean, this is just a wonderful, wonderful endeavor and story behind it. And, uh, Doc, we appreciate you. Dr. Gray, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I, enjoy, I always enjoy speaking with a colleague, yeah. and thanks for helping us get the word out. Yes, and this has been another Maximum Health Quality Living. If you've missed any portion of this show, it is available via all podcasts. Um, so check us out, follow us, um, social media, Maximum Health, and Dr. Ken Gray. Uh, we we really appreciate you supporting us and continuing to support the communities you live in by educating others uh, to do better because we can do better.